good to see a lot of friends and family from many, many years back uh, when I was basically, uh, I don't know how to say, a snotty-nosed little pup, right? Amen. But um, my wife is here with me, Angelia. Love her to death. Amen. Uh, we've been married now for over uh, 23 years officially, so super excited about that and met Angelia here in this ministry. And we have two uh, boys, CJ and Jordan. They're 18 and 20. Uh, I didn't want to risk trying to drag them out of the bed this morning and getting here. Amen. Amen. Title of my lesson today is uh, Living Water. And, uh, and there's a reason for that, and we'll go into that in just a minute. But as I think about black history, you know, I, my, my dad passed just recently, about a few months ago, and I had a chance to kind of do some searching in my history, and I found out that I think my great-grandmother was from the Zulu tribe. And that she was actually, she was brought over here and she was a slave and I think she ended up marrying an American Indian. And so there's an Indian and Zulu married, amen. And so if you look at me and try to figure out all these colors that you see up here on the stage, there's a lot in that, amen. And their son, their son actually married a Latina. Okay, so there's some of that in there as well. And then they come down and then they're, basically they're fought, my grandfather, would have my, my, my dad, who's, who died at 95 years old. But because he was born in 1922, you know, when I go back to great-great-grandparents, they're born in like the 1700s. And so really powerful, powerful history, amen? You know, recently I was working with, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm in education and I work with parents, parent groups, and I was working with this African-American parent group. And we were having some tough discussions, right? Kind of like African-American parents. Like people can be a little terrified dealing with African-American parents in the school. And uh, so they called me and kind of the big guns to come in and deal with this parent group and get them moving in the right direction. And I couldn't really figure out the challenges that they were having, but until I really began to read history, I began to understand what they were going through. And I think what we miss oftentimes is that it doesn't matter who you look at, People are going through something. That they, they have a background, that they've gone through something, and they've been challenged by something, and that has kind of built them into the person that they are. And so as we approach people, oftentimes we don't approach people from the perspective that Jesus approaches people. That when we read about Jesus, he approached people, and he came up and sat next to them. He didn't stand over them. He didn't look down. He didn't do any of those things, but he would come up and sit right next to you. He didn't care where you came from. He didn't care about the color of your face. What he cared about was, what have you been through? What's going on in your life today? What are the challenges that you're facing? Because I really want to hear about that. And that's the perspective we come from when we, when we hear about Christ, that we can't lose sight of his depth and the, the, the level of care and trust that he had when he approached us, that he came to us no matter where you were at that he was able to relate with your condition. And so as I, I met with this group, and I had to go back and do some reading, and I, I began to study out African-American history myself. And this is about five years ago, going a little deeper. And as I read, and I read, and I read, and I remember reading in the front room one day with my wife, and I just broke down crying. When I saw the hurt, when I saw the pain, when I saw the disappointment, when I saw all that has transpired, the accumulation of issues that had transpired, it changed my perspective toward these parents. Because for me, school for me was what? Success. I was successful in school. 
For many of them, that's not, that was not their, their experience. And so I share that with you, and as I'm sharing, turn over to John chapter 4, because we are going somewhere with this, amen? Because in John chapter 4, we find this situation with Jesus. And he's speaking to this young lady who had been through some stuff, who had a complicated lady. There was a lot of baggage that she carried. You know, somebody says we all have our own backpacks, right? I don't know what's in your backpack this morning, but I know each one of us got our own backpack with our stuff in it in terms of what we've been through. And what Jesus wants to do, he wants to come to us and he wants to help you open up that backpack and start unpacking those things in there. He wants to help you really deal with your life on a level to get you to this spiritual connection with him. And we start reading in John chapter 4, it says, When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but the disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had traveled through Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria called Sakar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone to the town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket? The well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. Ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within her, him for eternal life. So the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her. Come back. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said that. I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now, that you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. You know, we, we read this story of Jesus meeting with this woman. And what's powerful here is that Jesus is actually breaking ranks here. The dominant normative of this particular day was you didn't talk to a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman, because she was beneath you. And yet we see Jesus spends not just a little bit of time with this lady, but uh, quite a bit of time with this lady. And he begins the process of helping her unpack her baggage. He begins the process of really taking care of her and pulling her into him and really helping her to see what living water is all about. Kind of, you've been coming as well all your life and you still have not gotten your needs satisfied. So apparently there got to be something else. That what you have pursued has not satisfied your needs. And so apparently there's something else. And yet he didn't do it in a way that judged her. He did it in a way that pulled her into him closer. You know, I love as we read the scriptures and we read about Jesus and we constantly hear Jesus say what? He says, come. He's constantly saying, come to me. Now stop pursuing other things. Come to me. 
He's constantly throughout the scripture saying what? Come here. You know how you call your children? Come here. That's what Jesus is constantly doing to us. He's saying, come. We're going all over the place. We're, we're, we're searching the galaxies for everything else. And Jesus said, come. Jesus walks up right beside her. And he begins this process to talk to her about water. And in that, see if this works or not. It's not working, Kathy. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> he begins to talk about this concept of water. Now, Jesus talks about himself as a concept of water. And he compares a relationship with him with a concept of water. So when we think about water, the most important ingredients in our body, that the human body is more than 60% of your body is water. That blood is 92% water is represented in your, in your blood. That the brain and the muscles is 75% water. That the bones, about 22% water. Think about how much water do you drink in your normal day. Because Jesus is trying to get us to open up our eyes. Hey, this is water. This is the water. That this, this physical representation of water doesn't compare to the water I'm trying to give you. Because the Samaritan was going to get something that was water that was so important for her soul. That she lived in the desert and if she didn't go get this water, she would die. And Jesus is saying, I'm the water that you're looking for. I'm the water that will take care of you. I will give you living water that will sustain you. You know, we see Jesus as the ultimate thirst quencher, that all of us are trying to get satisfied with something. When you dream at night and you're sitting alone, you're dreaming about accomplishing something in your life because you're trying to quench your thirst for life. And yet Jesus is trying to get us to see that he is the only thing that's going to quench our thirst. That water quenches you for a moment, but Jesus will quench your thirst for a lifetime. You know, he says to this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and we he would have given you living water. That he said, don't miss out on this opportunity, this living water. That Jesus stops to spend time with this Samaritan woman to show his love and his care for this individual that probably all her life she had been neglected. She came to the well at 6 p.m. in the evening. And the time that you should go get your water is first thing in the morning. But if she went at first thing in the morning, all the women in the town would be there and everybody would be what? Looking at her, judging her, and talking about her. And Jesus in his infinite wisdom never did anything that was not intentional. He showed up at that well to meet this one woman in the town to speak to her. That's the love that he has for us. That if we can embrace his love, we can embrace it all. So as I met with this team, I'm meeting with this group of people and I'm working with them and I'm trying to get their perspective. You know, we read the story of this lady in history called Ruby Bridges. And if you don't know who Ruby Bridges is, she was the first young lady 
who actually was part of the, the segregation of schools in the South in New Orleans. And then at the time, they had them all take this test, and out of about six different people passed the test, but when they got ready to go into this school, basically people called around and threatened all the families that if you bring your kid to school, you're going to lose your jobs, you could possibly die, but she was the only one willing to go into this school. And by herself, escorted by four marshals, she goes into this school. And for that whole year, she was taught by a white lady that was willing to break ranks from Boston in a one-room classroom because nobody else came in that class. She was taught for a whole year. She was taught for a whole year in that class. Nobody else wanted to be around her. And when she finally got a chance to play with the kids, one of the kids said, hey, my mama told me not to play with you. And she shares this story. And really, sometimes we got to look at the context of people and what they've come through and what, they, and what has this made her into, right? And later on in life, she ends up losing, I believe that she loses her son. Her son is killed, I think, in Baltimore, D.C. or something like that, is killed by an African-American man. And so she, she, she lived this incredible life, right? On one end, she has this challenge in the South, and she's challenged by white people in the South, Later on in life, her son is taken from her by an African-American man. And she's standing up and she's speaking to a crowd, and my wife got to hear her speak, and she said, you know what I realized? It's not about race. It's about good, and it's about evil. It's about right, and it's about wrong. And as she professes Christ, I think she believes that the water that she's looking for is bigger than all that she's going through in life. And it's able to give her a context where she didn't get bitter. She said, I don't hate anybody behind me, and I don't hate anything that happened to my son. I, I got to get beyond that. And I think she has that water that allows her to forgive and move on. And I think she has such an incredible story. So as we look at history and certain situations are left out, there's so much we can learn about Christ because I believe Christ. You know, there's a scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, talks about love. And at the end of that scripture, you know what it says? It says that all we see now is kind of a, a, a glimpse. It's kind of when an imperfect, uh, imperfect appears, then we'll see face to face. And that. But it says right now, all we can really see is a glimpse. We can see a glimpse of Christ through the love in people's lives. I've kind of changed my perspective on that scripture. Because in context, the whole scripture is talking about what? It's talking about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It says, if I do all these things, but I don't love, it means nothing. And he closes out and says, you know what? Right now, I can't see it perfectly. And Paul is writing. But one day, we'll be able to see love face to face. But right now, we see pieces of it and components of it that exist. And so when we look at people like Ruby Bridges, we go, wow, we saw something in her. That she stood up in front of all those people and said, you know, I'm not bitter toward anybody. I love everybody. Because she had that living water. You got to have that living water. If you're going to be able to get over the challenges in your life, you got to have that living water. You're not, I, I, I will not be able to overcome getting old if I don't have that living water. Let's be honest. The older I get, the angrier and more frustrated. I mean, I'm tempted with bitterness. I mean, the older I get, stuff starts to bother me a little bit more. And if I don't have that living water, man, I, 
I got to drop, I got to drop, you got to drop them stones. Y'all know them stones when they, they brought that lady in there and everybody raised the stone? Man, the oldest ones dropped their stones first. <laughs> oh, folks, we got to drop our, I say we now, I'm 46, I'm not that old, but we got to drop them stones. Older we get, boy, we just start judging and pointing fingers. Man, you got to drop them stones. You better drop them stones. Jesus said, who without sin, drop them stones. And he squatted back down and started writing. You know, I always thought that Jesus started writing. I think Jesus started writing, man, because Jesus was like fuming, right? I think Jesus was fuming that day, right? They bring in, a, when we know how much Jesus cared about people, right? Jesus loved people so deeply. We see him working with this lady. They bring this lady in here and how they treated her. I'm sure Jesus in his indignation, I'm sure he felt something, right? God, man, you heard God's children. He feels something. I feel like Jesus said, you know, this is probably a moment to give the example of a 10-second rule, right? <laughs> Take 10 seconds. Scoop down. Let me write for a second. Then he stood up and said, okay, you who without sin, throw the first stone. And the room got quiet just like that. They start dropping stones and walking out. Jesus is saying, hey, we got to drop our stones. Because it's not about this stuff. It's not about this world. It's about something so much more precious. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't about this world. <laughs> it's about something so much more precious. So <laughs> I'm going to go away. <laughs> all right, there we go. <laughs> Now we're good. I got it. You know, I, I think the first point I'm going to make about this is that um, oftentimes we run after wells that run dry. I, I think it's a human dilemma. I, I don't think it's anything strange. It's anything weird. If you don't intentionally fight for your relationship with God, your well going to run dry. I, I think even as Christians, even as Christians, as we get older, we begin to pursue wells that run dry. I, I can think of times when I was radically committed to the cause, but through my work and through accomplishments and through different things that we begin to invest more in other places than we invest in our relationship with God. You know, from a child, you know, I had childhood dreams to, to be a police officer, to be a teacher, to to be a, you know, be a fireman. I, and from the time we're young, we're dreaming of what our occupation will be when we get older. And if we run down that road without drinking this living water, it's a well that will run dry. You know, the American dream of having things, right? America's asking people now, what are you passionate about? Make sure you pursue those things. And the only thing we should be passionate about is Christ. When people ask us that at the end of that, it should be Christ. And sometimes we go, well, it is Christ, but these are the things I enjoy. But I think in our hearts, we got to clarify that. Because we can be passionate about something and we can miss Christ. You know, our occupational dreams, all these different dreams that we have, that they can replace Christ in our lives. And the only way we're going to get that living water is making sure that we are pursuing wells that will not run dry. You know, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and have to be, keep coming here to draw water. Basically, that was her job, right? She was realizing that, man, I, I've been coming here every day, 
and I, 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 life's not working out like I, I dreamed it was going to work out. It was the, the daily routine of life. It begins to take an impact on us. And we start realizing that, you know what? This is not working out like I dreamed it was going to work out. So the dream, so her occupation was falling apart. The next thing was this, this concept of relationships. She realized that, hey, he, he, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Hey, her well had ran dry, and she realized it, that, you know what? It, it did not work out the way I planned. Five husbands later. And Jesus is still taking time to help her unpack that backpack. Amen? Amen. You know, the other well is, is this well of religion. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, the well of religion. That when we don't have Christ at the center, religion is an empty shell. And oftentimes we come and we can feel, I've been there where I've been coming to church and I'm like, man, something's missing. Because you know what? It's all about the structure right now. It's no longer about Christ. And I'm in, I'm in church complaining about everything. That's how I know that the well is running dry. I'm mad about everything, right? The song leaders, man, they're doing bad. The preaching is terrible. Ain't nobody here on time. You know how you go there. We go there together. But I ain't had nobody sitting next to me in years. I, I, I ain't shared my faith in a long time. I ain't studied the Bible in forever. I ain't helped the poor in forever. See, the living water is going to preach something different, amen? It's not about this. It's about something completely different. And I think we got to embrace that living water. We got to embrace the living water. I, I, I think when we, when we go down this road, we reach this place of atheism. You know, we have intermittent atheism. This thought process that every now and then we don't really believe that it's all about this. And we don't really come out and say, hey, I don't believe in God anymore. But in our hearts, we're going, man, I, I just don't know. We have questions and we have doubts because we're not drinking that living water and we, we, we know something's going wrong, but we can't quite figure out how to steer this ship back on track. And it's because consciously we know we're losing connection to the head. We're losing connection to Christ. And so we have these thoughts intermittently, subconsciously, going through our minds. What is this really about? You know, it's amazing. I had this, uh, this speech from one of the leading atheists in the country. He did this speech called, This is Water, where he was defining what he now thought water was. And this is what he says, named David Foster Wallace at a commencement speech. The only thing that's capital T true is that you get to decide how you're going to try to see it, this so-called water. You get to consciously decide what has meaning and what doesn't. You get to decide what to worship because here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get to is what we choose to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God, 
or some sort of spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ, Allah, Yahweh, or the four noble truths. This primary truth is what we have to understand. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning of life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and the beauty and sexual allure will always feel ugly. And when the time of age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches. The skeleton of the great story, the trick is keeping the truth up in front of you every day in your daily consciousness. Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The leading atheist in the country shares this at a commencement speech to graduates. You worship something. There is no such thing as atheism. That's what he's sharing. A month later, he commits suicide. Spent his whole life preaching atheism, and a month later, he committed suicide. And the title of the commencement speech was, This is Water. Be careful what you worship. So when we hear Jesus saying, hey, this is living water, hey, there's a lot of weight behind it. There's a lot of weight because all of us are drinking something, amen? amen. All of us are drinking something. You know, what I like about the story is with Jesus, good news, amen? The good news of Christ. That wells that overflow. As we look through Jesus' life, it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That Jesus is talking about this internal life now. He's talking about there's, there's so much more to life than just the everyday. That if we want to find that water, that we really got to look at our lives. We really got to look at our lives and what we're investing in. You know, one of my favorite preachers, if you don't know this, is Dr. Martin Luther King. In terms of black history, right? I, when I was a kid, I bought all his, like, tapes and all that. So I had all his tapes. And little 17-year-old kid, I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body. But something about listening to Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches were really powerful. And so people don't know this, but Dr. King came out with a, a lesson one time called, I think it was the three dimensions of life. And specifically, he talks about kind of, Life, there's the height, the height, no, no, what is it, the, the length of life, the, the breadth of life, and then he talks about the height of life. And what he talks about is that the length of life is the years you have, and most people, that's all we really live by. That we're just going to get to day to day, and we're going to take care of ourselves. Then he talks about the breadth of life in terms of what you breathe on others, how you give to other people, and what you invest in, and how you take care of your fellow man. And then he talks about the height of life. The height of life is this understanding that we're not here alone. And that all these things come together to make up what he calls this three-dimensional spiritual relationship that you have. And as we read about King, I think oftentimes we hear a lot of criticism from his personal life. However, his personal life does not 
take away from the things that he did, right? Because let me tell you something that I found out this past year about Dr. King is on April 4th, 1967, Dr. King came out against the war in Vietnam. And many people don't realize this. It was the most unpopular decision that he could make. All the civil rights decisions were very safe. It was a safe decision to make. But when he came out against the war in Vietnam, he was attacking a whole different political power. He was tapping into a place that oftentimes they were telling him, okay, you're out of your league. During that year, he preached many different lessons, but one of the lessons he preached was this lesson about consciousness. And he had this statement that says, courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creativity. Cowardice represses fear and is mastered by it. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it political? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when we must take a position that is neither safe, nor political, nor popular, but one must take it because it's right. And he makes this statement. And why am I sharing about this? Because he comes out against the war on April 4th, 1967, on April 4th, 1968, to the day he was killed. That he saw that there was something more to life that we have to live for. That there's something more to life that we have to invest in. And so as we look at God, and God is saying, hey, these wells, are for, that God has to be enough for us. And what we do with God and giving God to others is critically important. And we got to drink this water that not only are we drinking water, but we're taking this water and we're sharing it with others. But we can't share with others what we have not gathered ourselves. And we got to be able to go and we got to get this water that the Bible is speaking about. John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do we still believe that? That if we trust in him, that he will take care of us. You know, I've been reflecting on this concept that he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will provide what? Rest. Are you resting in Christ? Do you feel rested? You know, about three months ago, I was thinking about my life, and I was going, man, I've been... Over the years, things have happened so fast in my life. And as I accomplish things and you climb into different organizations, I reached a point where I went, you know, I don't want to climb anymore. I just want to sit here. I just really want to just rest in Christ. And so I told myself, I'm going to start keeping the Sabbath, right? I'm going to rest, right? I got to intentionally shut down, right? Because I'm like moving fast in life. So I got to shut down. I said, I'm going to start keeping the Sabbath. So now, my Sabbath isn't a Sabbath day because normally Sunday's a little easier for me, so I know it's different. But Sunday, I'm not doing anything, you know. So I tell my wife, even if you ask me to take out the trash, I might not take the trash out on Sunday. I'm not doing anything. Anything that resembles work, I'm not doing it on Sundays, right? If I get up and want to go do something and it feels like work, I'm going, nah, I'm going to rest today. Because, I, I, because the fight to rest in Christ as a man is difficult because we always got this churning inside of us that we got to go, we got to go, we got to give, we got to sacrifice but Christ is saying what? Rest. That if you're in me, there's rest. Are you enjoying your rest? Are you resting in Christ? Because if you rest, he says, our wearies and our burdens begin to go away. 
He says, come to learn from me because what? I'm humble and I'm gentle in heart. He's teaching us humility and gentleness. I, I got to learn that humility. I got to learn that gentleness of Christ. He's saying, come. You won't, you, you, you won't go hungry if you come. And that's an issue of faith. John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of what? Living water will overflow within them. That this concept of what water is in our lives, that Jesus preached over and over and over again, that he wanted to make sure that we were taken care of. And the question begins to ask us all is, are we drinking this water that Jesus is giving? But not just are we drinking the water, because all of us can drink, but are we buying in to what Jesus is teaching us about this water? Are we buying into it? Are we buying into this water that, that he's saying that will overflow in our lives? It'll be back up in just a second. <laughs> a little moment of pause. There we go. There we go. So I know for me, as I think about this drinking this water and getting this living water, I think of the lessons that I've learned in my life. You know, I think of everyone remember Rush Ewell many years ago. He did a, he did a thing called, you know, One Holy Consuming Passion, talking about walking with God series. And it was a life changer for many of us. And some of us, we got to go back and revisit those concepts because I believe those concepts change. He talked about what? Our God has to be what? Our one holy consuming passion. It has to be God. We have to be in pursuit of him. And we got to fight for him because there's so much in life to take, our, to take our attention away. You know, a book I read called The God Chasers by Tom Tenney was one, probably one of the greatest books I read. Man, am I chasing God? Is that the pursuit I have? And is that what the pursuit I'm engaged in in life? Trying to catch God. You know, in the pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, another powerful book, pursuing, pursuing God. Because America is going to teach you to pursue something, it's not going to be God. As God is erased more and more from TV and from television and being just eradicated from anything that even mentions God. In certain circles, you're not even allowed to mention God's name. And if we as Christians aren't going to make sure we, 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 we have this water as God and feed it to other people, then that, that message will not get out. We're probably in the most divisive time in our nation. It's more divisive than ever before, and everybody's looking for water, and they don't realize they're looking for water. But we have that water to give. And it's up to us to make that decision to give that water. Amen? Amen. You know, I think about in the Bible, different people, I think of Jacob. The Bible says Jacob, what, wrestled with God. He wrestled with God. He tussled with God. When was the last time you wrestled with God? When was the last time you fasted and you prayed about something in your life to really wrestle and tussle with God and go deep? You know, Moses, the Bible says Moses spoke to God face to face as, as a person would speak with a friend. Is that what we're desiring in our lives now? Man, I, I want to know God face to face. Paul desired to know Christ and him alone, nothing else. The simplicity of being close to God. But that begins to drive our lives. Amen? Amen. You know, Psalms 42, verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Because that's what it's about. It's about God. 
and him alone. And that's pursuing him with everything we have. Psalm 63. This is David speaking. In the desert, on the run. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Even through the difficult times. It's God. And so what Jesus was teaching this, this woman, hey, do you want this water? Because you can have this water. As we celebrate black history, we see and we look back and we see times when there was no water. That water of Christ was not there. But people, through the difficult times, sung songs about Christ. They wrote songs about Christ. They worshiped Christ to bring them through. And I think if there's anything that we can learn from black history is the, the sense of overcoming challenges through the love of Christ. You know, there's the, uh, what is it? The, the, and I'm, I'm ad-libbing here, so I might get some things wrong. So There's kind of the, the, the black national anthem. And every time it's sung, it, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I, I, it brings tears to my eyes. It, it kind of moves me emotionally because it talks about, you know, tears that my father's cried, places where my mother's died, it, all that stuff kind of, it brings something out of me. And I think it brings something out of all of us. I think more than that, when we think about singing songs about the cross of Christ, Hopefully we have those same emotions because when we think about the cross, you think, man, there's songs that we sing, man, that, that old rugged cross. Does it still have that same impact? And so I'll close out here as we think about water. I was thinking about the passion of the Christ. And I talked a little earlier about being passionate about things. And it just dawned on me like over the past week, because I've been really reading a lot about Jesus and meditating on Jesus. The passion of the Christ, I never, I just thought it was like the story of Christ, but it never resonated with me that the passion of the Christ is really this concept that as we read through the story, we see how passionate God is for you. I read through how passionate God is for me. That when I read through that story of the cross to make the connection, this is how passionate God is for you. And likewise, that we make a decision based on that to be passionate for him. Amen. So as we think about this water and as we're going to pray for communion, I want us to reflect on that water. And I want us to make drinking that water that Christ is talking about kind of that pursuit that we have in life. Amen. So at this time, let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Father, thank you so much for just this time to come back and share, Lord, uh, just about the water, God, that, that, that we have access to in Christ. A water, Lord, the Bible says that we will never be thirsty again. A water, God, that fulfills a water, God, that takes care of us like never before. Father, help us to, as we take communion every week, to reflect on the passion of Christ and the passion that you have for us and your love and your depth and your caring and how you, you are concerned about us and that you have taken such good care of us by sending your son to the cross to die for us so that we could have this life, God.
Father, I pray you'll bless the remainder of the service and that we're able to see Christ in everything that we do, God. So, Father, I ask you bless this time that will honor you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.